don't know what to do. What do you mean? Like, what do we say? I don't know. Introduce yourself. You introduce yourself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Welcome to our podcast, True Crimes and Storytime. I'm Kirsten. I'm Michelle. I hate saying my name out loud. Kirsten? Michelle? Yeah, you have a normal name. My name is not normal. Dude, I have a normal name? Yeah, Michelle is a normal name. Not my last name. Not your last name, but Michelle is a normal name. Kirsten. Kirsten is a normal name. name is Kirsten? I know quite a few Kirstens. I don't. All the Michelles I know are like 30 plus. Okay? I have an old name. You have an adult name. (laughs) I saw a TikTok one time that was like, name your kids something that, you know, don't name your kids like a childish name. Because then when they're 80, they're going to have a childish name. Name them something that they're going to want to be called when they get older. (laughs) And you named your kid Jeffrey. Jeffrey. (laughs) (laughs) Jeffrey and Evelyn. That's the oldest adult names if I've ever heard any. (laughs) talking shit about my name (laughs) anyway um we didn't record last week we needed a week off specifically me no excuse other than that we just needed a week off so we took it um but we're back and a couple weeks ago if you remember i did an episode on like some haunted places Mm -hmm. it was like 10 through 6 of the most haunted places in america and then we did the valentine's episode yeah, we're going backwards, guys. So now, yeah, we're going backwards to number one. So we're going to go five, four, three, two, one in this episode of the most haunted places in America. Let's do it. So number five on the list is the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. Have you heard of it? No, I've been to Colorado, but I haven't been there. Cool. Okay, so. Cool. The- is that a K-E-W-L? <laughs> yes, Cool. The Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado is not only famous for its old world charm and excellent service, but it's also known for its active paranormal phenomena and spirit folklore. It is a 100 plus year old hotel and is located about five miles from the entrance to Rocky Mountain National Park. It offers panoramic views of Lake Estes and the Rocky Mountains. So it's a pretty popular place. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just listening. We said no tangents on this, yeah. these episodes, so we're We just... were already on a tangent before. Dude, we were I talking for like 45 minutes before <laughs> we started this, and now we're like so behind. <laughs> so, this old hotel was built in the early 1900s by F.O. Stanley, who created the Stanley Steam Engine, hmm. a steam-powered horseless carriage. That's cool. The majestic Georgian-style hotel opened in 1909, catering to the rich and famous. So, it's a very, very wealthy-looking hotel. Okay. It's very fancy. Fancy. Freeland Oscar Stanley, F-O, is his name. Freeland Oscar, F-O. No S. Stanley. Oh, I see. F-O Stanley. F-O Stanley. Okay. F-O Stanley. Yes. <laughs> and his wife, Flora, traveled west to Colorado in 1903 
because F.O. Stanley's doctor advised him to seek the fresh mountain air. Did he have tuberculosis? He oh. did. He <laughs> I just from... saw the next line. Sorry. <laughs> he did suffer from tuberculosis and had been advised to not make plans beyond six months. Because tuberculosis is very fast-acting. Right. And once you get it, you don't last for very long. No. Um, Didn't they call it consumption, too? Con- yes, consumption. Okay. Yes, I think so. I couldn't remember... Mm-hmm. On a previous episode where we talked tuberculosis yes. about consumption. The doctor arranged for the couple to stay in a friend's cabin in Estes Park for the summer. Immediately, they fell in love with the area and Effo's health began to dramatically improve. Interesting. Which is strange. Yeah. Given his diagnosis of tuberculosis. Well, it is the 1900s, so maybe he didn't have tuberculosis. Maybe. It could have been something else. After spending the summer in the cabin, Flora wanted a home like the one she had left in Maine, and the couple built their new home about a half mile west of where the Stanley Hotel would later be built. Today, the house is a private residence, so it is still there. Wow. That's been standing for a while. Yeah. F.O. Stanley built the hotel on land that he purchased from the Irish Earl Lord Dunraven. In 1906, construction started on the Stanley Hotel. Wood and rock were obtained from the nearby mountains, and the hotel was built in the Georgian architectural style. In 1909, the luxury hotel was completed with no expense spared. It was equipped with running water, electricity, and telephones. The only amenity the hotel lacked was heat, but the hotel was, I mean, in Colorado, and it was a summer resort, so they wouldn't mm-hmm. need heat in the summer. Nobody yeah. would really be staying so it was there just in the supposed wintertime. to be open in the summer. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. The Stanley Hotel was hosted has hosted many famous guests, including the unsinkable Molly Brown, John Philip Sousa, Theodore Roosevelt, the Emperor and Empress of Japan, and a variety of Hollywood personalities. And of course. Stephen King's inspiration for his novel, The Shining, came from his experiences at the Stanley Hotel. Didn't you read that? I did not. I started to, and it was boring, so I didn't read it anymore. (laughs) Sorry, Stephen King. Kirsten Um, doesn't know what good literature is. I like to read fantasy. I'm joking. I read, like, the first, like, two chapters of It, and I was like, uh, I'm tired. So long. Yeah. My brain just can't handle that much information. Like, My it brain needs to be dumbed stay down focused a lot. for yeah, that long. I feel that. <laughs> In addition to its regular guests, the hotel is also said to play host to a number of other worldly visitors. The most notable is F.O. Stanley himself, who is most often seen in the lobby in the billiard room, which was his favorite room when he was still alive. Sounds like Clue. It does, the billiard <laughs> room. Isn't the billiard room where they have, like, the pool table and stuff? I think so, yeah. I love how you said the whole table, table and stuff. And stuff. <laughs> I don't know if that's right. I think it is right. The okay. billiard? What's a billiard? billiard? I don't know. That's a good question. Okay, you keep talking. I'll look it up. Okay. Bartenders at the old hotel also report having seen F.O. stroll through the bar, disappearing when they try to cut him off at the kitchen. <laughs> He's like, fuck you guys. Yeah. Did you find it? I'm looking. Hold on. What a billiard is? Any of... Various games played on a billiard table in which cues are used to strike balls against each other or into pockets around the edge of the table. So a billiard room is basically a pool room. A pool table room. Yep. Nice. Interesting. Didn't know that. Nope. 
Uh, Flora Stanley also haunts the hotel, continuing to entertain guests with her piano playing in the ballroom. Employees and guests have reported hearing music coming from the room, and when they take a peek, they see the piano keys moving. Whoa. But as soon as, as soon as someone walks across the threshold to investigate it, the music stops and no more movement can be seen upon the keys of the piano. That makes me think about this old thing my grandma had. You could wind it up and the keys would just go. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And like play. It would play like a little tune, but the keys would be like pushing. Moving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Weird. There are several rooms in the hotel that seem to be particularly haunted. One is room 407, which is said to sometimes be occupied by Lord Dunraven, who owned the land prior to F.O. Stanley. That's who we bought it from. He likes to stand in the corner of the room near the bathroom door. On one such account, witnesses reported that a light in that corner kept turning on and off. While the light was off, they told the ghost that they knew that he was there. They would only be staying two nights, and would he please turn the light back on? And then the light turned on. And that's when I would leave. (laughs) No, I think I'd be okay. I'd be like, all right, you be chill. I'm going to sleep here. Leave me alone. And that's where you would fuck up. Yeah. (laughs) That's where she fucked up. Um, However, later when the lights were turned off and they were trying to sleep, noises were constantly heard from the nearby elevator during a time when the elevator was not in use. At other times, a ghostly face has been reported to be looking out the window of room 407 when the room was not booked and empty. Creepy. Room 418 gets the most reports of haunting activity, apparently from children's spirits. Children's spirits freak me out the most. I don't know what it is. They are a little creepy. It's because that they're associated with demons the most. Yeah, because they try to, like, pretend Pretend. to be children. Mm Mm-hmm. Cleaning crews report having heard many strange noises from the room, as well as seeing impressions on the bed when the room has been empty. When guests stay in the room, they often report that they hear children playing in the hallway at night. One couple reportedly checked out of the hotel very early in the morning, complaining that the children in the hallway kept them up all night. But there were no children booked in the hotel at all, so there was no children. Creepy. There have also been many reports by guests of haunting activities in rooms 217 and 401. I think I said 401 already, didn't I? Mm, oh no, I said 407. Tour guides tell a story of the ghost of a small child who has been seen by many of the staff in various areas of the old hotel. Stephen King also saw the child who was calling out to his nanny on the second floor. Other past employees report footsteps and apparitions seen throughout the building. Wow. So it's a it's a very active place. I would like to visit there, though. Yeah. That would be pretty cool. It does sound cool to visit. Mm-hmm. I would have to sage myself afterwards. I don't want to oh, take anything sure. home. Oh, for sure. For sure. So, number four on our list. Get, we're getting closer to number one. Is It's like that... <laughs> Countdown of the 72 most dangerous animals. And coming in at number four. (laughs) That's literally like, number one. The most haunted. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She said, yeah, (laughs) we're not doing that anymore. So uh, um, number four is Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Mm. Lots of peas. Prince of Bel-Air. 
in West Philadelphia, born and raised. You How thought you we know? were too young for this. <laughs> Little did you know. Kirsten knows the whole fucking song, apparently. I really do. I really do. I could totally. That's the funniest shit, though, Born about you. is where I went most of my Those not get copyrighted, but. Okay. Anyways, that's the funniest thing about you, though. What? It, like, you just say random shit. Like, I would say something random. And you know the whole fucking thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Kirsten has a lot of shit living in her head rent-free. I really do, but, like, I cannot. I can only think of it on the spot. Yeah. Like in that situation, but it's if like, I'm trying oh, yeah, to think I do know that. that. I'm like, I don't, I don't know, I really don't. But then I'm like, it just like instantaneous comes to me. Love that for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, Easter State Penitentiary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It was originally constructed as a radical departure from other prisons of its time. The quote separate system was meant to reform rather than intimidate its inmates so they're trying to i guess help gotcha. the inmates mm-hmm. get better not just to lock them up okay well i mean good intentions in the it beginning d- it does not it's not good though i know that's why i said in the beginning <laughs> yeah you also have to think about the time this is like in 1900s mm-hmm. so 1800s well yeah we'll get there in the fall of 1829 Mm-hmm. <laughs> the penitentiary opened to admit its first prisoner, a young black man from Harrisburg named Charles Williams. By that winter, the prison housed seven convicts in solitary confinement, sentenced for various periods of time between one and 11 years. After his 1842 visit to the penitentiary, Charles Dickens likened solitary confinement to being buried alive. Isn't Charles Dickens an author? That's what I thought. What did he write? Couldn't tell you. Um, Dick and Jane. No. Dick and Jane? Moby Dick? <laughs> no. Wait. Did he? Did he write Moby? <laughs> <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> Who's Charles Dickens? What did he write? Maybe this was a different Charles Dickens. This is 1842 also. Oliver Twist? Never heard of it. I have. A Christmas Carol? Oh. David Copperfield? I thought that was a person. It probably is. Um, anything else? The mystery of Edwin Drood. Interesting. So he wrote the uh, what did what'd you say? Christmas Carol story. Mm-hmm. Christmas Carol. Um, trying to see if there's anything else that I like recognize. Charles Dickens. Hmm. I wonder if this is the same person. Um, if he wrote it. It says he wrote, so maybe. Interesting. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people know what Oliver Twist is. I don't. Barnaby Rudge? Nope. David Copperfield, I think I already said that. Bleak Mm -hmm. House, Little Dorrit, A Tale of Two Cities. Mm -hmm. Anywho. Okay, Charles Dickens. He said solitary confinement is like being buried alive. Right. He said, quote... In its intention, I am well convinced that it is kind, humane, and meant for reformation. But I am only the more convinced that there is a depth of terrible endurance in it, which no man has a right to inflict upon his fellow creature. I hold this slow and daily tampering with the mysteries of the brain 
to be immeasurably worse than any torture of the body. And nobody writes like that anymore. That's, it's so hard to read. <laughs> because we talk like, yeah, bro, that's lit. It's so crazy, like. That slaps. It's, that's, yeah. That's bussin'. No cap. Bussin'. <laughs> that's the shit we'd be saying. If they read the shit that we say, they'd be like. What are you talking exactly, about? Exactly. That's what we are. We're literally reading it like, uh, I did not understand a word you said, but okay. So it's the, bad. That's basically bad. what he's saying. Yeah. It's worse than any kind of torture you can think of, mm-hmm. which I think is going a little bit far. I know solitary confinement is pretty bad, but like, I don't know. Would you be rather be in solitary confinement or would you rather be set on fire? I don't know. Because if you're in solitary confinement, you're with yourself. You speak to no one for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. I don't know in if the I'd want to be with myself. In the dark. You probably start seeing and hearing shit. I already hear stuff, Michelle. We just had this conversation. Okay. <laughs> moving on. Uh, moving on. <laughs> so, the separate system had been presented as more a uh, more humane option. But was it? Sounds like no. Eastern State pioneered a distinctive radial plan. The architectural design resembles a wagon wheel from above, with central rotunda and cell blocks radiating outward like spokes. In this system, one all-seeing guard, standing in the center, could monitor every corridor. I have no idea what this looks like. Okay, like a circle, and the guard is in the middle. Yeah. And there's, like, cell blocks like this outward. I get you. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. The design created by architect John... Haviland set the standard for over 300 other prisons and asylums worldwide. That's crazy. So his design was hailed as a breakthrough success with the Pennsylvania prison system of surveillance and solitary confinement, earning rave reviews like an 1835 state report that commended it as, quote, identified with our rational, rational, (laughs) our national honor and reputation, end quote. The design commanded admiration of the whole civilized world eastern state was one of the largest and most expensive public structures in the country and each cell was outfitted with its own exercise area running water and central heating dang and they had private flushing toilets at a time when even the president andrew jackson andrew jackson andrew jackson was still doing his business in a white house chamber pot like an outhouse with no, Damn. like, central flushing. That's crazy. But this prison had it. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. During its operational years as a prison, which was 1829 to 1971. Damn, so that's, that's a long, long time. ass time. 150 mm-hmm. years. That's insane. Just about. The penitentiary was home to several infamous inmates. The most well-known prisoner was Al Capone himself. I think we all know who Al Capone is. Mm-hmm. I think you talked about him a little bit on our previous episode. But continue. Um, I think I did. Um, who was sentenced to eight months at Eastern State. His cell in the prison is still on display and is said to have had fine furniture, oriental rugs, and even a personal radio. Wow. He was pretty famous. Another famous prisoner was bank robber Slick Willie Sutton who spent 11 years at Eastern State. I never heard of him before. Me either. In 1945, he was one of 12 prisoners who escaped the prison via an underground tunnel that stretched for nearly 100 feet. He and his fellow escapees were recaptured within hours. Damn. 
this is the one. This, what I'm getting ready to talk about, I can't wrap my head around. I think it's so funny. Okay. And then there's Pep, the cat-murdering dog, the only known canine sentenced for life at Eastern State or anywhere. A dog, a four-legged furry creature sentenced to life at prison. Mm -hmm. That's not very long. No, it's not. Prison records reflect that Pep took a mugshot and was given an inmate number. What? But no, nothing was really Wait, said I feel like I've heard it. this before. He was incarcerated in 1924 for having allegedly murdered Governor Gifford Pinchot's wife's cat. Woo. Although she told a, report, a reporter later that the murder had never occurred and the governor had simply donated Pep to the penitentiary to increase inmate morale. I guess. Or he just didn't want so, anymore. So, the governor just did that whole thing to make a big ass meme basically mm-hmm. <laughs> nice yeah when he could have just given them the dog but he didn't want to give them the dog he didn't want to seem like he was nice yeah he became the beloved mascot of staff and inmates and lived like a king at eastern state Aww. until he died in 1930 when he was buried on prison grounds Aww. so i think he was more like a prison pet yeah and not an inmate right but they still do that what have pets yeah Mm -hmm. i mean it's like moral like Mm -hmm. you have to be like a trustee or something yeah um but he was buried on the prison grounds he'll be running those little yards (laughs) yeah and in his little ghostly afterlife (laughs) In 1970, after multiple riots, a breakdown of the separate system, and thousands more prisoners than the penitentiary had ever been constructed to handle, Eastern State closed its doors. By that time, the federal government had designated Eastern State Penitentiary a National Historic Landmark that could not be demolished. I mean, yeah, it was a prison that ran for a, a long time. And it was like, it was the first prison of its kind, too. Mm-hmm. For the next 15 years, the grounds remained mostly abandoned. In 1980, the city of Philadelphia took title to the historic prison, by now in a state of ruin, for just over $400,000. In 1984, the city transferred the penitentiary to the Philadelphia Redevelopment Authority. City Hall charged the PRA, the Philadelphia Redevelopment Authority, Mm -hmm. with soliciting proposals from developers who could give the historic prison a second life. The mayor in 1974 suggested demolishing the penitentiary and creating a criminal justice center in its place. The city didn't do that. Ten years later, a local landscape architecture firm approached redevelopment officials with a bid to turn the cell blocks into 238 luxury apartments. Um, I feel like that's bad vibes. Oh, for sure. (laughs) But the city didn't do that either. Yeah. It was in 1987 that redevelopment officials began to seriously consider several proposals. One for a shopping center, another for a series of retail stores and parking... Which is basically a shopping center. Literally. Another for a combination of high-priced apartments, restaurants, different things like that. And even a nightclub was considered. 
Weird. The redevelopment authority rejected all bids for the property and chose to move towards preservation. They just wanted to, like, keep the building as is. And preserve it, And make it like a landmark. And with the help of generous funding from the new, the Pew Charitable Trust and the Getty Foundation, the task force moved forward to assess the property and study possibilities for its future. In 1991, they began the process of stabilization and preservation and held their first Halloween fundraiser. That first Halloween event raised money for a daytime tour program. In 1994, the penitentiary opened for tours on a daily basis. By 2000, the tours were regular and a nonprofit had formed around preserving both the history and the physical building of Eastern State. Now, the penitentiary has become a nationally acknowledged museum with an ever-relevant mission, interpreting the legacy and the failures of the American criminal justice system. Of course, it is known to be one of the most haunted places in the United States. Subblock 12 is known for echoing voices and cackling. Subblock 6 for shadowy figures darting along the walls. Subblock 4 for visions of ghostly faces. I think Zach Bagans went here. Um, probably. I would say probably. Many people have reported seeing a silhouette of a guard in one of the towers. Footsteps, wails, whispers, things like that. One of the most legendary tales from Gary Johnson, who helped maintain the prison. He said in the early 1990s, he had just opened an old lock in cell block 4 when he said a force gripped him so tightly that he was unable to move. He described a negative, horrible energy that exploded out of the cell. He said tormented faces appeared on the cell walls and that one form in particular beckoned to him. Yikes. That would send me screaming home and never coming back. And saging. Yes. Up next on our list, number three is Ohio State Reformatory in Mansfield, Ohio. No kidding? It's in Ohio? Ohio. I was just making a joke because it's called Ohio State Reformatory. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It actually didn't start as Ohio State, but. <gasps> well, I didn't know that. <laughs> um, This one's pretty popular. So, if you haven't heard of it, you're probably going to be like, oh, by the time I finish talking about it, you're going to be like, oh, that's where that is? Okay. That's where that is? Yeah. You know what I mean. <laughs> the history of Ohio State Reformatory began in ni- 18... 62. <laughs> it's all blurring together. 1862. The field where the reformatory would be built was used as a training camp for Civil War soldiers. In 1867, Mansfield was promoted as a candidate for the placement of the new Intermediate Penitentiary. That's what it's called. The Intermediate Penitentiary. Gotcha. The city raised $10,000 to purchase 30 acres of land for the prison, and the state required and acquired 150 acres of adjoining land for $20,000. The cost of the facility was $1,362,769. <laughs> you said that wrong. No, I didn't. You said one million three hundred sixty-two thousand. Oh, it's three hundred one million three hundred twenty-six thousand seven hundred and sixty-nine dollars. The intermediate penitentiary was in 
intended as just that, a halfway point between the Boys Industrial School in Lancaster and the State Penitentiary in Columbus, which was intended to house young first-time offenders. So it was, like, a little bit worse than, like, you know, a juvenile Mm -hmm. center, but, like, not as bad as, like, a state prison. Gotcha. Intermediate. Makes sense. Construction began in 1886 and remained under construction until 1910 due to funding problems which caused construction delays. In 1891, the name was changed from Intermediate Penitentiary to Ohio State Reformatory. Now we're in Ohio. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been in Ohio, but, you know. On sept- we haven't been in Ohio. I've been to Ohio. I have, but we haven't been in it. No, we're not in Ohio. On September 15th, 1896, the reformatory opened its doors to its first 150 offenders. These prisoners were brought by train from Columbus and put immediately to work on the prison sewer system and the 25-foot stone wall surrounding the complex. So the prisoners are building their own prison. Mm -hmm. I think that's fucked up. Uh, Like, I get it, but like... That's kind of torture. (laughs) You're literally... It's like digging your own grave. Mm -hmm. It's like, what the fuck? That is pretty fucked up. The exterior of the building, which is built from brick and concrete, is designed in the Romanesque style, giving the front a castle-like appearance. Which doesn't make sense to me. No, it's a it doesn't. fucking it's a prison, prison, dude. Yeah. Private o- prisons. Maybe. Yeah. Over 200 people died at the Ohio State Reformatory, including two guards who were killed during escape attempts. The reformatory remained in full operation until December 1990, when it was closed via federal court order. Hmm. As a result of a prisoner's class action suit citing overcrowding and inhumane conditions, District Judge Frank J. Battisti of the United States District Court for the Northern District of Ohio ordered the prison closed by the end of December 1986. This order was known as the Boyd Consent Decree. The closing date was moved to 1990 due to delays in constructing the replacement facility, the Mansfield Correctional Institution, which stands to the west of the old prison. Most of the grounds and support buildings, including the outer wall, have been demolished since the closing. In 1995, the Mansfield Reformatory Preservation Society was formed. They have turned the prison into a museum and conduct tours to help fund ground rehabilitation projects and currently work to stabilize the buildings against further deterioration. The east cell block remains the largest freestanding steel cell block in the world at six tiers high. That's crazy. The Mansfield Reformatory Preservation Society is currently working to restore the facility to its original state. The restorations are being funded through donations and tour fees. The windows of the south side east cell block have been replaced, and all of the original stained glass windows that were in the building are planned to be replaced also. Throughout the Halloween season, the building, the building hosts a haunted house called Blood Prison. Kind of scary. <laughs> the Ohio State Reformatory offers ghost tours as well as the normal daytime tours. They offer public ghost tours for casual ghost hunters, private ghost hunts for more experienced ghost hunters, ghost walks for children 13 years and up, ghost hunt classes for children 13 years and up, and special 
ghost hunt events hosted by famous ghost hunters, celebrities, or historians. Zach Bagans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam and Colby. Sorry. Ohio State. Kirsten are on two different <laughs> levels. Ohio State Reformatory served as a location for the famous movie, Shawshank Redemption. Austin showed me that movie. And was also the location for a few Lil Wayne music videos. <laughs> Dude, that's the <laughs> shit that cracks me up. Like, he would. Okay, I forgot to put this in my notes mm-hmm. because I didn't know how to word it in mm-hmm. my notes, so I thought I'd just, like, say it out loud. So, Ohio State Reformatory um, had overcrowding issues. That's why it closed in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they would overcrowd really, really badly. So, like, you ha- you know, you have solitary confinement. It's, like, one maybe two person in a cell it depends mm-hmm. they would put like 10 people in a cell in solitary confinement because there were so many people That's and there were so many people that had to go to solitary confinement and not enough cells and the people would literally go Sounds crazy like and them. kill each other in the solitary confinement cells because yes. i mean what else do you expect mm-hmm and that's crazy people in the east cell block where it said it's six tiers high people would like go crazy and like hang themselves from like the top and like jump off the top to the bottom i was wondering if there was like a cage or not no there's i think there is now in some parts but it's pretty open that's crazy and it's like i should have put a picture in there because it's like literally okay you can stand in the middle and look all the way up all six tiers and then like, there's like walkways on each side Whoa. and you can but you can walk around the whole thing that's in, like, crazy a circle mm-hmm. it's it's crazy that is crazy all right we're almost at number one but we're at number two um it is the Velisca axe murder house in Velisca, iowa i'm not going to talk about this one too much because i'm literally covering it next week so if you want to hear about it you're gonna have to wait until next week Boo. I literally have been planning to do this case since we started this damn podcast. And there's so much information. I just haven't said I it has to be perfect. Okay. I am obsessed with this case. I don't know why. It has stuck with me ever since I heard it. I just cannot get it out of my mm-hmm. head. Like whenever people ask you what's the one case, this is the case. Anyway, it's a true crime case. This is a story time episode. I'm just going to give you the general rundown, okay? Okay. In June, on June 10th, 1912, in Villisca, Iowa, on a quiet residential street in this small town, this is a old white frame house. It's like the farmhouse. Think of a farmhouse. Frame house or farmhouse? Frame house. It's a white frame house. Oh. But if you think of like a f- white farmhouse, that's mm-hmm. what it looks like. Kay. Okay. On a dark evening, the absence of lights and sounds are the first indication to visitors that this house is different from the other homes that surround it. Upon closer inspection, you'll notice its doors and windows are tightly closed and covered. An outhouse in the backyard suggests that this house does not occupy a place in the 21st century, but somehow belongs in another era or another story. A weather-beaten sign hanging from the decrepit front porch warns rather than welcomes. It says, murder house. The walls sit, that's like now. Mm -hmm. That's what it says now. The walls still protect the identity of the murderer or murderers who bludgeoned the entire Moore family and two overnight guests to death on June 10th, 1912. More than 100 years later, her secret continues to draw many visitors to her door. 
Visits by paranormal investigators have provided audio, video, and photographic proof of paranormal activity. Tours have been cut short by children's voices, falling lamps, moving ladders, and flying objects. Psychics have confirmed the presence of spirits dwelling in the home, and many have actually communicated with them, and skeptics left have left believers. Crazy. This house... I know I talk about Sam and Colby a lot. Mm-hmm. Let me guess. They went. Oh, yes. This is the... That was the first video I watched, like, recent, Like, of all of their haunting videos, and that's what, like, hooked me. Mm-hmm. There's one part in the video where... They like to do where they, like, separate. And they'll, like, go to each part of the house and, like, do their own little investigation and see mm-hmm. if they catch anything. So, Colby was upstairs in the room where the family was murdered. And it's, like, at the top of the stairs. So, there's, like, a door at the very top of the stairs. Mm-hmm. Open the door. Stairs. Okay. So, the door was open. You could see the door in the back of the frame. And he's just sitting there and he's like, if there's anyone here with me, like, give me a, give me a sign. I know it's known that, like, sometimes this door closes. And you could see, like, down the stairs that there's, like, nothing there. And you literally can see the door slam in the, not, not close, not move, slam in the back of this video. There's, like, no possible way that it was anything except for some, a spirit of some kind. Like, Sam was outside. It was only the two of them. He was upstairs by himself. You can see around him. There's no way there was somebody there. And Hmm. that gives me chills. Yeah, that's fine. And I think about that all the time. So, if you want to hear about the Velisca Axe Murder House and what happened, it's very gruesome. But I'm going to cover it next week. There we go. So, number one on the list... And we're at number Number one. one. The most haunted place in America, according to the list that I found, (laughs) is the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in Weston, Virginia. And that is actually what it's called, a lunatic asylum. I'm not just calling it that. Yeah. That's what it's called, okay? I know lunatic is not a great word term to use, but that's what it's called. The hospital was authorized by the Virginia General Assembly in the early 1850s as the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Construction on... (laughs) Construction Construction on the site along the West Fork River opposite... Oh, I thought you gave me a look. I was like, oh, oh no, no, no. I was, I was, just I was like, second guessing myself. Oh, Did no, I say good. that right? No, you're no. good. Along the West Fork River, opposite downtown Weston, began in late 1858. Work was initially conducted by prison laborers, obviously. Skilled stonemasons were later brought in from Germany and Ireland. Damn. Construction was interrupted by the outbreak of of the american civil war i don't know why i was thinking like a zombie outbreak oh i was thinking of like tuberculosis like whatever i was thinking outbreak and i'm like zombies (laughs) my brain yeah anyways following the admission of west virginia as a u.s state in 18 i don't know why i keep wanting to say 19 (laughs) i know it's been happening through the whole thing In 1863, the hospital was renamed the West Virginia Hospital for the Insane. Don't know why. 
The first patients were admitted in October 1864, but construction continued into 1881. The 200-foot central clock tower was, com tower was completed in 1871. Back then, patients were admitted into the asylum for a variety of reasons, including asthma, laziness, egotism, e egotism, yeah, domestic troubles, and even greediness. So they laziness. literally sent them here for like the weirdest reasons. Literally. This led to an overwhelming number of patients being admitted, causing the asylum to face a shortage of staff and beds overcrowding gotcha typical at this time right still today yeah originally designed to house 250 patients in solitude the hospital held 717 patients damn that's a lot of patients by 1880 and it was only supposed to hold 250 okay that's crazy there was 1661 patients in 1938 over 1800 pages pages page shints in 1949 and then at its max 2600 patients Holy in the 1950s shit. in overcrowded conditions that is literally in, insane a, in a hospital building that that's, was only supposed to hold 250 people that's fucking nuts dude and yeah that's fucking crazy a 1938 report by a survey committee organized by a group of North American medical organizations found that the hospital housed epileptics, alcoholics, drug addicts, and non-educable mental defectives among its population. That was a lot of strong words. Yes. The lack of proper care and access to sanitation led to a large number of deaths at the asylum. While the official count of patients who have died in the asylum is not available, historians have estimated the number to be between 400 and 500 That's patient literally deaths. insane. Western State Hospital found itself to be the home for the West Virginia Lobotomy Project in the early 1950s. I really would am thinking about doing a future story time episode on lobotomy. You totally should. It's insane. It interests me. Yeah. This was an effort by the state of West Virginia and the Walter Freeman to you and the and the Walter Freeman no Walter Freeman <laughs> and Walter Freeman to use lobotomy to reduce the number of patients in asylums because there was severe overcrowding. If you don't know what a lobotomy is, it's basically where they they just take an ice scramble and your shove brain. it in your brain. Yeah, to try and fix the problem, I guess. Fix the problem. Yeah, quote unquote problem. By the 1980s, the hospital had a reduced population due to changes in the treatment of mental illness, probably the lobotomies. I don't know. Maybe yeah, it's... basically just makes you a vegetable. Yeah. Those patients who could not be controlled were often locked in cages. In February 1986, the governor, Arch, Arch Moore, announced plans to build a new psychiatric facility elsewhere in the state and convert the hospital to a prison. Guys, this was like 40, only 40 years ago. I know. That's Not like even 40 years crazy. ago. Ultimately, the new facility, the William R. Sharp Jr. Hospital, was built in Weston, and the old Weston State Hospital was simply closed in May 1994. 
The building and its grounds have since been mostly vacant aside from local events such as fairs, church revivals, and tours. In 1999, all four four floors of the interior of the building were damaged by several city and county police officers playing paintball. The hospital was auctioned by the West Virginia Department of Health and Human Resources on August 29, 2007. The main building of the asylum, known as the Kirkbride, holds several rooms that serve as the museum located on the first floor. There are paintings, poems, and drawings made by patients in the art therapy programs, a room dedicated to the different medical treatments and restraints used in the past, and artifacts such as a straitjacket and hydrotherapy tub. The tour guides dress in clothes that resemble 19th century nurse outfits, which is like the blue dress, white apron, white cap, and white shoes. The shorter historical tour offer allows visitors to see the first floor of the Kirkbride, while the longer historical tour allows visitors to see all four floors, apartments of the staff, the morgue, and the operating room. Wow. Aside from the historical tours, there are also two paranormal tours. Both start as the sun sets, the shorter tour lasting around two to three hours, the longer tour being overnight with the option of having a private tour and, like, staying the night and stuff. That's crazy. Yeah. So, that's that. Um, that was the, la- the top five haunted places in America. According to the list that According to the list that I found. <laughs> yeah. Um, I hope you guys liked it. I like talking about haunted things. So, mm-hmm. if you guys also like hearing about haunted things, I will do more. Um, I can do research on some that are, like, out of the country. Um, I don't really know much about anything else out of the country. I think I'm going to do, like, haunted places around the world. Mm-hmm. Like, historical places. Mm-hmm. And talk about those. Um... But if you want to um, learn more about the Velisca Axberg house, listen to next week's episode. Oh, I'm yeah. super excited to do it. Um, well, like I said, it's just been a case that has stuck with me since I heard it. And I cannot stop thinking about it. Um, it is absolutely tragic. And it's unsolved, just mm-hmm. so you guys know. But there's some interesting theories that I'll talk about. Um, yeah. Make sure you go listen to Michelle's episode that comes out Friday. Um, yeah. What are you going to talk about? I was just mocking you. Um, Um, yeah. (laughs) I'm talking about Mr. Cruel. Never heard of him. And it's an Australian case. And also, it's very, um, you could say cruel. So, it has things to do with children. Oh, no. So. We haven't recorded it yet, so I am very... Yeah, um, so if you don't want to listen to that, just, um, skip on over to a different episode. Yeah, um, um anyways. Thanks for listening, I hope you guys enjoyed. Sorry we didn't record last week, um, but we're here now, so. And that's all we got? Yeah. Make sure you check out the, um, our links in the show notes, you can follow us mm-hmm. on all of our social medias um subscribe to our patreon Mm -hmm. we're still posting um 
the episodes early and all of our notes and everything are on there so if you want to go look at those um we'll also give you a shout out in our episodes tell people to follow you on your social medias or whatever um that's also in the show notes and i think that's it yep give us a review and a rating and we'll see you next time thank you for listening bye